You are listening to the Get Global Network podcast of the Community Party Radio Show, hosted by David Samuels with co-host Mary L. Sanders. You can hear the show live on the first and third Tuesdays of each month at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on SoMetro Radio, one of the original member stations of the Get Global Network. Live from Hartford, Connecticut, this is Community Party Radio on Soul Metro Radio. I'm David Samuels, along with my co-host, Mary Sanders. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the neoliberal attack on public schools with Hartford resident Zaire Barrios and CD activist Arthur Miller. We will also discuss the book industry and politics with Carl Rogers, the editor of Trable Press. Uh, Trable Press published my book, False Choice, The Bipartisan Attack on the Working Class, the Poor, and Communities of Color. Check out the Community Party Twitter page, at Community Party One. The tweet promoting tonight's show includes resource info on our show topics. We've also posted ordering info on my book, False Choice, and a link to live coverage of the final Super Tuesday primary, uh, which includes the California Democratic Party primary between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Uh, but before we, we get to our guest, uh, Mary and I would like to both say uh, rest in power to Muhammad Ali, who passed away on Friday at age 74. Ali used his platform as a champion boxer to take a stand against racism in the military-industrial complex. The Like It Is program, hosted by the late Gil Noble, did a show on Ali taking a stand as a conscientious objector against the Vietnam War. We're going to listen to a clip from that program. Ken, please play the clip. Uh, looks like that clip is not yet ready, but we will get to it. Um, we will get to it uh, during the show. Definitely. Can I jump in here? And I was just going to ask if I could jump in and welcome our guests, Arthur yep, Miller and Zaida, yep, who I'm meeting ahead, for the first time, and yep, just say ahead, you know it's a, it's a pleasure to have you both here with us to talk about some of the stuff that's going on locally. But I wanted to ask both of you to start with. Um, Deacon Miller, if you could just, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and what types of things have led you to this work. Well, I, um, as you know, Mary, I grew up with Emmett Till in Chicago. Uh, we went to school together. He sat next to my brother in class, and I, um, I guess I lived during a rather exciting time and a tragic but extraordinary time in our, our nation's history. Um, I began right after he was murdered and Emmett's mom and my mother were were good friends. For those of you who don't know who Emmett Till is, it was his uh, death in 1955 that really began what was then the nascent civil rights movement. It was his death that Rosa Parks used as the platform by which she began um, to not give up her seat on the bus and then came the minister, Dr. King. So I grew up with him, and, and it was from that point on in Chicago where we began um, really voicing the concerns we had. Um, went to jail a few times in, uh, back then when uh, Dr. King called for you know the na- national kind of confrontation against hatred and the like. And after that, just grew up, went to college. Um, I was in the Army during the Vietnam War. Um, joined corporate America and then began my conscious, my purposeful uh, um, concerns about those who had less and used the platforms both politically, socially, and economically to assist whenever I could. And finally went into the seminary and was ordained in the Catholic Church uh, a dozen years ago and, and used that as a means by which I could speak for those who had a had a voice that wasn't heard, which brings me to here to this day. 
what types of things are you involved with these days? Well, I, uh, I, I'm in pretty much every um, demonstration there is or at the Capitol building, uh, bringing hope, hopefully trying to bring peace uh, to some of the, our cities, uh, eradicate um, uh, hopelessness and helplessness, um, supporting those who are doing the fighting uh, for, for uh, equal rights and the like. Um, I work with gangs and visit prisons and take food and stuff to the streets, uh, mentoring young black and Hispanic people. Primarily in Hartford, no? Well, put, uh, around the state, and I do a lot of traveling nationally. I'm I'm an author, and so people use that book. And and um, and as a minister and a preacher, I, I move around a lot as well. Mm. Well, maybe we can get Zaida to introduce herself, and then we can get back to the conversation about what's going on locally. Uh, my name is Zaida Barrios. Um, I'm just a grandmother concerned. Uh, I started getting involved with like what's going on with the schools when we was having trouble getting my granddaughter even in kindergarten. So I started researching and everything. So I have a little bit of knowledge of, you know, like uh, what Chef versus O'Neill and the charter schools and the magnet schools and what it's doing to the poor person in Hartford. Well, for those so you're kind of a newcomer, huh? Kind yeah. of a newcomer to this work, yeah. I know, David, yeah. you have a list of some questions you wanted to ask both of them. Yeah, definitely. For those who, you know, outside of Connecticut, uh, we wanted to talk about the controversy around the Martin Luther King Elementary School, public school uh, that is being closed. Uh, it Actually, it was supposed to be renovated, but uh, because of budget issues, uh, they are, the city of Hartford is now saying that they are going to close the school. Meanwhile, they're throwing millions of taxpayer dollars at a minor league baseball stadium that is behind schedule and over budget. Now, there was a protest last week against the plan by the city, which is to move the students from Martin Luther King to the basement of a nearby charter school, the Achievement First School that's in the, the old Fox Middle School uh, building. And, Arthur, you said you, you attended that rally? Could you yes. talk about the, the protest uh, last yeah. night? And, and it was primarily to draw attention to a reality of, 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 of displacing students where they're comfortable. Now, I know there was an article that was written that ridiculed the, you know, the very act that the school uh, um, is, is not in good upkeep. But, you know, if the money was spent to upkeep the school, the kids are, quite frankly, comfortable there, as are the parents. Relocating them to something new doesn't help them to grow. Um, it, it is, it's extraordinary to think that you can just move kids uh, from one place to another, and there's no ramification or impact on them. It was done completely. Uh, kids don't move and live in a vacuum. Um, there are relationships. There's, there's, there's comfort. There's knowledge. There's understanding. Um, and and the, the teachers, quite frankly, are comfortable there as well. At least that's what we heard. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you both, I want to hear the opinion of both of you, and I'll start with you, Zayda. What do you think about... Uh, Mayor Luke Bronin and the city council closing the school while they're throwing all of this money uh, at, at this baseball stadium. <laughs> like they don't care. They don't care about the kids. And um, these are kids, like they talk so much about school choice. But like like I was saying with my granddaughter, to even put her in kindergarten, they had made a mistake and they had, well, I don't know if it was a mistake, it, maybe it was intentional. They were going to send her to Clark School, and, li- and we live on Chestnut Street, which is um, right off of Albany Avenue, close to where the old Bonner Brown School is. So we went to uh, the Board of Education and uh, complained, and the lady was saying that it, maybe it was a glitch in the computer system because they had a new software. Mm-hmm. So then she didn't have no school to go to for kindergarten until finally the... Well, I'm not going to say no position or name, but somebody from the from the regional choice talked to the director of achievement first, 
and made room for her, even though the school is, is overcrowded. And that's how she got into achievement first. Meanwhile, she's on a waiting list for Capital, which is our neighborhood school, but this school happens to be a school that, you know, a lot of suburban kids want to go to, so the Hartford kids get left out. So it's all one big mess, and it's not one simple, you know, solution, and it's not just about the money. It's about leaving the Hartford kids out. Absolutely. Arthur, what do you think about the... You know, with the with this this focus on a baseball stadium and the expense of the schools, what it what it says about the priorities of the politicians in the city. Well, you know, the the way that that that's voiced is that it is an investment in the city that will draw more money to the city, and that there were surety bonds and the rest that would possibly offset the cost to the. The, the citizens, not only of Hartford, but of the state. Now, the problem that comes with that is that the money had to be paid up uh, first. That money had to be used. And the, the unfortunate aspect is that the long-term belief in terms of how it will help fund the, the, the city in terms of jobs, in terms of, of, of just commerce for people who do come in Hartford, is, is not going to be in the next four or five years. Um, because there had to be tax abatements to get them to come in the first place. So how long will it be before that stadium becomes profitable to the city? And what happens between, the, you know, today or the, uh, when, the, when the proposal was first met and when it does become uh, uh, profitable, how many years will that be? And what happens to those like, like your, your granddaughter between those years? You know, just right. throw them away for for the, a possibility of making some money that you may not make in 15 years. Right. I, it, it just boggles the mind. They would not do that in places mm-hmm. where they believe people have a voice or the ability to respond. Right. It does not happen in places where mm-hmm. uh, where folks have money. Now, Zaida, you, you've done research on the Hartford school system. Can you talk mm-hmm. about some some of your findings? Um, I think the problem is the charter schools and the magnet schools and, you know, how they overpower the neighborhood schools and eventually, like, it's not only Connecticut, like, it's happening in other places where they're, like, they've they've been dealing with this problem longer than we have in Hartford. They end up closing the neighborhood schools and the the low-income, you know, people, the people that live in the ghetto, they get, they get lost. You know, the kids end up on a waiting list, and then they don't even have a school to go to. The charter school is is a school that's run with private management, which is for profit. You know, and then the magnet school is a public school, but, you know, then it has, you know, its um, expectations and everything, even though over here it's by lottery. And that's another thing which I think is rigged. Because one year she was number one, one year she was number four, this year she's number four, but she still haven't got in there. She's going to second grade. And one thing people need to understand is that the you know charter schools, one of the biggest investors is Walmart, and you know they treat their yep. employees terribly. They pay them poverty rate wages when, when mm-hmm. workers try to unionize. Uh, yep. a, a strategy that they use is to just shut the store down wherever the the those employees are trying to unionize. So what we're really we're what we're seeing is a Walmartization of education, and mm-hmm. uh, you know and and uh, you know the the privatization of education is definitely um, it's an, it's an attack on uh, on the public sector, which really yeah. leads into my. Then even in the charter schools, they don't even have to have certified teachers. But that's one yeah. of the problems. Like right now, achievement first is on probation because of that, and the high suspension rate. Yeah, yeah. And and for people who really want to, you know, do the knowledge on charter schools, we in the tweet promoting tonight's show uh, in our resource section um, from the Democracy Now uh, website, uh, we have their archive of uh, of. Uh, reports over the years on charter schools. Now, the the, the public sector is the largest employer uh, of blacks and women 
Um, what are your thoughts on, on this nationwide attack on public school teachers? And I'll, I'll uh, ask uh, Arthur first. Um, and what is my, my opinion as it regards uh, the hiring or... I, I don't know if I understand. Well, really, what we're what what, you're, what we're seeing is with the with the teachers who are reporting being um, you know targeted as far as you know being blamed uh, for schools that are not properly funded, and then the the, the government, city government will turn around and, or, and the state government will turn around and say, well, these schools aren't performing well. And that's yeah. when they they try to move towards you know the private private privatization yeah. model. So you know that ends up with public school teachers losing their jobs in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, we saw in Chicago where public uh, school teachers went on strike uh, yeah. for simple funding because the schools there were weren't being funded properly. Or in in Detroit as well. In, exactly. In both, yeah, in both of uh, both of those cities. Um, and and what what happens all too often, and what happens in our communities, is that um, one of my my big my my biggest concerns are are kids who who leave our public schools and go to uh, quite frankly private schools and the like, because some of the schools come in, uh, the private schools, uh, and I mean like uh, uh, Avon Old Farms or some of those schools. And, and skim off the top um, are better students and, and leave uh, those who, who, who do struggle there. When, when, the, when the reality is we have to lift up every student, absolutely every single student. And the only way to do that is, to have, is, is for us to find a better way of, of rewarding teachers who do good work. And I think that we don't do a very good job at all as a nation of rewarding teachers for the work that they do. When I was growing up, and I know that's an old cliche, teachers were highly respected, not only by parents, but frankly by the government and by everyone who understood what they were doing, investing in, in, our, in our future and our kids. I don't think teachers are, quite frankly, honored enough at this point. Um, if in fact we could ever get to the to to those kinds of models um, where where teachers are paid appropriately, um, are uh, we we don't promote kids who aren't doing well, but like when back in the day you stayed in school till you got it right, they didn't kick you out. Right. You had to to be there. Um, if we could ever do that again, and I think our community needs to be able to do that, instead of leaving our communities, we need to stay in our communities. Help I just want to jump in there and say it's also, you know, about the class size, too. Um, yeah. and, yep. and it's not only the private schools. My granddaughter a few years ago, uh, she's in sixth grade now, but I, when she was in second or third grade, she had been on the waiting list for Kinsella for a long time and never was able to get into that, um, you know, that magnet school here. But they offered her a spot out in Southington. So she had to take a 45-minute ride every morning and afternoon yep. to go to Southington for one year. And I don't know if Hartford paid them. It was either 11000 or $13,000 or whatever. But I think there was only 15 kids in her class. So that was the big deal. I mean, she excelled. She got all A's and B's. She did really well for that year. She, she, cause she hated the ride. And she hated mm -hmm. feeling out of place. She hated looking different from the Southington kids. And, you know, it was, it was you know, academically it was a good experience, but socially it was not. So we brought her back to Hartford the following year. Um, she, right now she's at Grace Academy. It's great. There's, I think, 12 or 15 kids in her class there, and that's free to Hartford kids uh, for middle school. But uh, we have a lot of good schools here in Hartford. If we could just get them properly funded and class, size down, class sizes down and, like uh, Deacon Miller said, support our teachers and make sure they have what they need to, in order to do a good job. Our kids will do just as well in Harvard schools as they'll do in the suburban schools. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and right. not only that, but, but, but support in terms of discipline and absolutely every, and high expectations. I went mm -hmm. to, a, uh, to public schools in Chicago. My older brother went to public schools. My sisters, my older brother was the assistant secretary of energy. His PhD is in nuclear engineering. He went to a public school. I've got my degrees. My, young, my younger brother's a mathematician, public schools. All of us did. Um, mm -hmm. It just, there were great expectations uh, uh, in our community. And we, that's the part great expectation not only in our students but of our parents and of our teachers right mm -hmm. 
And um, quite frankly, that's who I run into when I'm in Hartford. People who have great expectations for their their kids, for the community, and, and the like. And if uh, we could ever you know, get folks to understand that, mm-hmm. um, and that's what could happen at Martin Luther King. It's our school. So is there any chance of salvaging that? Is there anything that people should be doing or people to, who should we contact? I mean, is there any way to to get this turned around? Hmm. Yes. Um, to to uh, the new mayor, Cronin, Ronan, whatever his name is. Ronan, yep. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, that was disrespectful. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but to let him know. And it doesn't only have to be people in Hartford. Right. Everybody does. I mean, this is the community. The community is all of us. And the community isn't restricted by by man-made, human-made barriers. We are all concerned. You know, what is that old saying? It takes a village to raise a child? Well, our village Mm -hmm. is sick, and we need to help heal our village. Because in the village is sick, sick children will be the product, the byproduct of that. So if everyone gets involved um, with with supporting all of our kids and all of our schools, it would be better. So, yeah, yeah people, it, is that right or what? Democracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a constitutional right. Well, I know Bronin is from Greenwich, and I know they wouldn't stick a bunch of white kids in the basement of a charter school. That would never happen. Nope. Nope. Ain't that the truth. But it's already overcrowded. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and you got the same thing going on in Waterbury. Waterbury uh, an activist I know in Waterbury posted a picture of an empty seat on her Facebook page and said, "If the kids aren't in school by October first, they're not getting sixteen. Uh, City of Water uh, Waterbury won't be getting sixteen thousand dollars for that child. So I don't know if they're recommending a boycott of the schools and have have the kids not all show up." Or what? But I know a lot of the um, inner cities are going through the same thing with the lack of funding for their public schools. Yep. yep. And that's why we have to do something that's drastic. Like that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And we only have like a couple more minutes, but I'd just like to hear um, uh, first, Arthur. What do you uh, What do you think? Anxiety. So, what do you think uh, Martin Luther King himself would say about what's happening with the school? I, you know, um, I think he would be reminded when uh, when he was killed in 1968. I believe, quite frankly, he would walk around the, our country and see, hmm, things haven't changed at all. Mm. Nope. <laughs> yeah. That what do you think? Yep. That the the patterns of segregation, economic, uh. uh Political, I think he'd be pleased mm-hmm. that Obama's in the office. But then he'd look at right. the landscape of our country and see the vitriol that has occurred the last eight years of the anger that mm-hmm. has come from the mouths of the people in this country has been yep. extraordinary. I believe yep. that Dr. King would look around and say, "Am I in Mississippi?" When he is standing in the middle of Hartford. Mm-hmm. And anxiety. What do you think? I feel the same way. That's ironic that that school is, is named after Martin Luther King, and look at how they have disrespected him. He was a great man, and that could be a great school. And like you yeah. said, there's heart there, and and yeah. and public school is a you know a constitutional right. And these people forgetting that with all this charter school and you know trying to make a profit, it's always like keep the poor man down. We're going to have to leave it there, but, but uh, Zaida Barrios, Arthur Miller, I'd like to thank both of you very much for coming on with us tonight. And, and we thank plan you. on having you, we plan on, you know, keeping an eye on this, you know, on this issue and, and we want to have you all um, back on again in the future. Yeah, and this will be replayed tomorrow night. Don't forget that you can tell, you can tell people to tune in tomorrow night and listen to this. All right, thank you. Thank you. Okay, on the other side of the break, we're going to have uh, Carl Rogers, the editor of uh, Trable Press. He is going to 
come on and talk about the independent publishing industry and also wanted to get his thoughts on the presidential election. Uh, as you know, tonight is Super Tuesday. We have um, on the Community Party Twitter page at Community Party One, we have uh, live updates on uh, the Super Tuesday uh, primaries, uh, California, of course, being the, the big prize uh, in uh, that primary uh, tonight. But be, uh, before we before we go to break, we're gonna we've got that uh, audio of the the Gil Noble uh, interview with uh, Muhammad Ali talking about uh, his stance as a conscientious objector against the Vietnam War. Live from Hartford, Connecticut, you're listening to Community Party Radio on So Metro Radio. Defeated Foley by a knockout in the seventh round. More from the Community Party Radio Show podcast. Hosted by David Samuels, coming up next. Me. Live from Hartford, Connecticut, you're listening to Community Party Radio on So Metro Radio. I'm David Samuels, along with my co-host, Mary Sanders. Our next guest is going to be Carl Rogers. Carl is the editor of Trable Press. Trable Press uh, published my book, uh, false choice: the bipartisan attack on the on on the working class and communities of color. Uh, Carl, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show, David. And again, well, first and foremost, I definitely wanted to uh, you know thank you for you know publishing my book. You know, definitely. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it was you know definitely fortunate to find. Uh, organization like like yours and i definitely wanted to, to bring you on uh you know to, to talk about trade press because i think you know you're doing really important work um when did you found well uh, your book is a book that's press. worth reading david so i i uh, hope your listeners read it uh, uh thank you sir i appreciate that when did you uh found trade press carl yes Yep. When did you found Trable Press? When did you start the... Oh, the, I, find, the I founded it because I was just tired of authors being ripped off by commercial corporate publishers. So mm-hmm. I founded it as, like a, as an author's cooperative. So um, that authors would get a uh, proportionate share of uh, the royal and would not get ripped off. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely, that's one thing I can speak to is, uh, is the... The, the money that the, these large publishing companies will charge you, try and charge you for stuff like editing. Uh, I mean, it's enough to to really just dissuade. I think a lot of people from even you know pushing forward, even if they've got a manuscript done already. Well, I mean, most of these things. I mean, it just comes down to the fact that we largely live in an investor's market, so they have to make a good return on their quarterly profit share. And uh, so all of the quality and um, uh, writing issues uh, are se- totally secondary, and they're not even secondary. They're not, they're not a priority at all. Um, they're primarily just concerned with uh, turnover of rapid profits, um, and that's the way of commercial publishing these days. Absolutely, and and I think what's another thing is important is that uh, you know you you really give a voice to to grassroots folks and 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 people who are gonna who are writing about topics that that a corporate owned publisher just just isn't gonna touch. Oh yeah, they don't like any controversial topics at all. Like uh, any any anything that would um, uh, possibly offend any anyone or not fit into a very mainstream view is often marginalized and uh but yet there's a huge market of readers out there who are interested but these days you know it's it's, it's basically it's all driven by advertising and revenues so um it's the same as any other business whether it's selling books oil or um bullets and you re- and you recently uh, published a book yourself. Did, did you want to talk about that? Yes, I've just published a book called The Fire of Feistus, uh, Rethinking Science, Rethinking Nature. Um, it's a philosophy book, and um, uh, uh, it's a critique of uh, science, technology, and modern civilization. 
Excellent. And if, if people are interested in ordering that book, we have the link to the Trable Press Facebook page. That's in the Yeah, I think it can be got from Amazon, major yep. bookstores, yep. Yep. Um, yep. any online vendor. Yep, and we've got that on the on our uh, our Twitter page at Community Party One. We've included that link in the tweet promoting tonight's show, so you can go. Thanks very much. So people who are listening. And, yeah, and oh, no I problem. will point out my book is an excellent cure for insomnia. So if you have any insomniacs <laughs> who are listening, they should buy this book, and all their problems will be solved. Sounds like Carlos Carlos B Carlos He's he's a he is an excellent writer. Now, now, how has the the internet changed the publishing business? Well, the, it, it, it's changed it enormously because now anyone can publish. So it's actually it's a it's a massive force for the democratization of publishing. Um, and of course, this has its drawbacks because then you have to uh, you know wade through co- uh, all, uh, all these works to find quality. But that was true with the commercial publishing as well. So now there's opportunities where people can print on demand, they can self-publish, and it's escaped the uh, the, uh, the stigma of the vanity press because now it's open for anyone. Uh, that that's that that's excellent. Now I'd like kind of like to switch to switch gears because you and I have had a lot of you know uh, conversations about this uh, this this rigged political system that that we've got here. You know tonight is the the Super Tuesday uh, primary. You know I definitely wanted to you know to get your thoughts on 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 this election. Um, first, uh, I'd like for some listeners. Yeah, de- definitely. First, though, I'd like um like to first listen to a, a clip from the De- Democracy Now host Amy Goodman. She 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 hosted a, a video. It's, it's about a two three minute video called Trump Land, where she 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 talks about how the corporate media has really created uh, the, the Donald Trump candidacy and really uh, catapulted him, um, you know, into the position that he is now. Now, which is uh, one step away uh, from from the White House. Uh, Ken, if you could please play the clip, Amy Goodman, uh, Trump land. Whether well, it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN, you often can't tell the difference. You're flipping from one channel to another, and they're all Trump all the time. It's Trump land. I see the media as a huge kitchen table that stretches across the globe, that we all sit around and debate and discuss the most important issues of the day, war and peace, life and death, and anything less than that is a disservice to a democratic society. It is critical in an election year to hear how policies affect people on the ground, not to get the pundits but to get the people themselves. They're bringing you the pundits, and this is true on all the networks, the pundits who know so little about so much, explaining the world to us and getting it so wrong. The media manufactures consent for war, for candidates in elections, by bringing you more, for example, of one person, like Donald Trump. He is pumped into everyone's home. He can just stay in a gold-gilded mansion in New York or one of them in Florida. The rest of the candidates trudge from one state to another. Why does he get this unfiltered uh, pipeline into everyone's brain, into your eyes, into your consciousness? It matters. The Tyndall Center did a report in 2015. They looked at the whole year. They found Donald Trump got 23 times the coverage of, say, Bernie Sanders. They found ABC World News Tonight did something like 81 minutes on Donald Trump. And I think they gave Bernie Sanders 20 seconds. Bernie Sanders is breaking every record. It's the only reason he's getting any coverage right now. I mean, the media, he is shaming the media. In March, he raised something like $44 million dollars. Hillary Clinton raised 29 and change million dollars. $44 million. That hasn't been done before. You break every record and there's a blip in the corporate media radar screen. It just shows how astounding it would be if he got anything near the coverage of the other candidates. Could you imagine where he would be right now? 
In this high-tech digital age, with high-definition television, digital radio, all we get is static. That veil of distortion and lies and misrepresentations and half-truths that obscure reality. When what we need the media to give us is the dictionary definition of static, criticism, opposition, unwanted interference. We need a media that covers power, not covers for power. We need a media that is the fourth estate, not for the state. And we need a media that covers the movements that create static and make history. That was Democracy Now! host Amy Goodman. Uh, that video is called Trump Land. Uh, Carl, I definitely got to get your analysis. Uh, I really wanted to hear your, your take on the, the three candidates that are left standing. Well, well actually, it's, honest, it's more than honest, three. David, I, I, to be honest, David, I don't know if I can give you analysis. I'm still shocked that uh, yeah. Trump has got the nomination. I'm in a state of trauma. Uh, the wow. um, it's like it's unbelievable. It's like uh, the uh, conservative right have not learned the lessons of panderers and charlatans uh, that promise them all the things that they believe in, um, but never deliver. And Trump is mm. exactly the kind of person who will tell them whatever they want to hear. And they, he flip flops on issue after issue. He can't make his mind up whether he's pro or for uh, pro or against abortion, for example. He's just like a, he just will tell anybody what they want to hear. He's a brand merchant. This is how he's made his money. And, um, yeah. and I'm surprised that uh, genuine conservatives and uh, 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 genuine uh, Republicans, regardless of what you might think about um, their politics, uh, give him any time at all. It's, a, yeah. it's an absolute travesty of the democratic process. And it shows how media is manipulating everyone. It's wag the dog, isn't it? So, uh, I mean, I wrote about this in my book, uh, Debunking Glenn Beck, How to Save media, uh, America from Media Propagandists and Bandits, um, in 2011. And it's, it's just the way that uh, the media is like generating um, this uh, framework for the whole democratic process, which is totally fitting into a corporate agenda. And uh, and so this is all selling sound bites, and uh, and the more outrageous things he says, the better. And it's just shocking that the Republican Party is even tolerating it. Well, they were running from the hill for, for the hills from him today uh, after his comments about the the judging is uh, the fraud case. I mean, it, it was really I mean funny to hear somebody like Newt Gingrich, who is about an extreme um, right-wing extremist as you can get. It was funny to hear him um, saying that that Trump had gone too far and there was a conservative... Yeah, well, um, I mean, Newt, Gingrich, Newt Gingrich, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't believe anything he says from one minute to the next. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. um, he, he basically has been negotiating, I think, so... Um, so he's, uh, they're all doing it. They're all falling in line, negotiating, trying to work out how they can get their own best personal advantage from it. And, but it's like even the evangelical Christian right are falling in line behind Donald Trump, even though he's a pro-abortionist, pro-family mm -hmm. planning, right? pro-plan for parenthood, for, like, for every time he spoke in interviews up until he was running for the, the Republican nomination. And they still believe it. They haven't learned the lessons of Reagan. Like they all like promised them everything they want to hear, and then they deliver none of it. So well, he really just, he really seems to be the white nationalism candidate, and uh, even this um, this uh, pundit today, her name's escaping me. Uh, Sarah Elizabeth Cup is her name. Uh, she she worked for Ted Cruz, I think I believe. Um, but even she called Trump today, and said that he's the white nationalism candidate, and that really seems to be. With the voters, that really seems to be what his, his appeal is. I think the the problem with him yeah. and the Republican Party establishment is he won't use that coded racism language. Like he comes straight up and says, "Well, I don't want this judge on my case because he's a Mexican." Yeah, they love all that. They love all that because then they, he can say the things that they think, and then mm -hmm. um, uh, then they can distance themselves from it. So it's exactly. like, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they, I mean, this is all this is all the way that. Uh, it, uh, these uh, m the media is uh, being uh, also played like a fiddle as well, 
And it's like, uh, it, it's just, the, the thing is, is that people have got to realize if Donald Trump was to be elected, America would have the most corrupt government in its entire history. Right? I mean, it's going to asset strip the entire nation. All of the natural, natural, uh, na uh, natural resources are going to go. Right? The national parks are going to be sold off. Everything's going to go. And the whole country is going to degenerate into a third world country right, whilst India and China rise. All the resources are going to be sold to them on the cheap. Right? Meanwhile, people will get no representation. And you're going to effectively end up with a fascist regime. And the only reason why I believe that anyone would possibly support Donald Trump is because they're either a racist or a fascist. Or they have some money to make out of it. I have some optimism. There are some people who are going to make some money out of it. So at least they have something of a, of a, of, of a motive that I could understand. But like it's, um, it's, it's a ridiculous situation where somebody who's totally unqualified for any public office whatsoever, I mean, he shouldn't even be a public librarian, right? <laughs> and and is actually running for the nomination of a major political party. It's, it's insane. Your thoughts on Hillary Clinton, who's expected to give a speech well, tonight where Clinton she's going to declare win. herself the winner? Right. Yeah, I think Hillary Clinton will probably win. I mean, she is the most qualified candidate. She knows the political game uh, inside and out. And most of her criticisms are largely directed towards her because she's a woman. If she was a man, they would not be raised at all. In fact, the best thing that Hillary Clinton could do to get a bump in polls would be to have a sex change. <laughs> wow. How about Bernie Sanders? Your thoughts on him? Well, Bernie Sanders, he's a great guy, um, but he's a socialist. He will never be elected in America. America, he's in the wrong country. Um, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I mean, this is the thing. It's, uh, people seem to be all of a sudden shocked that America is run on money, right? I mean, stop the press, folks. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, it's like this is the way it works. So it's, you've got like um, major political parties who have to raise billions of dollars for the presidential campaign and their donors are going to be corporations. Well, that really leads into one of the questions I had for you, which is what are your thoughts on uh, corporatism and the impact of money in politics, even before Citizens United? Oh, it I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely destroyed the electoral process. You know, mm -hmm. you can't have democracy when a few people with lots of money can dominate the political process. So you've got corporate media promoting pro-corporate candidates, and that's all you get, mm. right? And so there's no, there's no real alternative. Like any non-corporate, I mean, you've had the Green Party, Jill Stein, for many years, not taking any corporate money. They can't even get a percent of the vote. Mm. So it's like, it's not going to happen, right? And, like, Bernie Sanders' policies would not happen. Congress would block it, block it. I mean, people are suddenly pretending that if Bernie Sanders was elected as president, you would have um, the People's Republic of Congress. It's not going to happen. Right? You're going to have him blocked at every step of the way. You couldn't even get Obamacare through without an enormous fight. The public option didn't even get off committee. So it's like it's, there's no possibility of any of these things happening. So what you've got is you've got a lot of wishful thinking going on and people not looking at the, um, the realities of the political process. I mean, you've had Occupy Wall Street with uh, mass movements petitioning government on the streets, um, as is their First Amendment constitutional right. And you also have Bernie Sanders with his ballot box revolution. And none of these things are going to happen. I mean... What's left for the left? The left is going to soon have to start to appeal to Second Amendment remedies. So you don't think, because uh, right now uh, Bernie Sanders' wife, you know, she's indicated that the plan is to transition this campaign into a permanent organization that's going to run candidates, you know, on the city, well, state, federal I, level. You don't see, you well, don't I see I, that? I think I, I think after today, uh, Hillary Clinton secured the nomination. Like, I mean, mm. it's, it's pretty much a lock, isn't it? 
I don't know, Mayor. I'll bring you in on this one. I mean, the you know, it depends on who you hear. The corporate media is saying it's over, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talking independent media that it that is not a done deal. Does Mary? Yeah, but I, I think he pretty much would have to win every single delegate at this point. Yeah, yeah and they're doing everything point. in their power. They're doing everything in their power to make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, yesterday, this what, a couple of days ago, Puerto Rico uh, had their uh, primary. They're not allowed to vote in November, but they do participate in the primaries. There were only six delegates up for stake, but Hillary Clinton got yeah, them but all. I, but what did they do yeah, there, I mean, though? They 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 went from fifteen hundred polling places to four hundred. They they shut down um, voting instead of having it from six to six. They had it from eight to three. They had a three percent voting rate. That's uh, that's ridiculous for Puerto Rico. They're they're notoriously uh, known for their high voter turnout. Um, so I mean, it was it's, you know it was a pittance, right? Six delegates, but. If they don't steal the election here in California or in some of the other, you know, some of the other shady stuff that was going on in states that are still being investigated, by the way, New York, Arizona, and I'm not sure where else, but I know um, Sanders has been able to secure a few of the delegates now, and also a few of the super delegates have come over to his side. At this, con- yeah, it's no, going to be a contested convention. Bernie, yeah, but I mean, Bernie, Bernie Sanders has done tremendously well for a person with his political platform. I mean, this cannot be denied. He does a hats off to him, right? Well, we don't know what's going to happen by a convention time. The thing is that candidates who have come come up with uh, uh, much more uh, socialist um, uh, positions than Bernie Sanders has, right, have been blocked by the electoral process for over 100 years. I mean, Eugene Debs, they sent him to jail rather than let him run for president. So... It's like, uh, it's, it's a situation where the whole system is totally rigged against any possibility of any real democracy happening. Right, so but if millions of people no, show up at that convention... Yeah, well, I mean, they can show up at the convention, but in the, in, for the Democratic Party, they actually, the delegates are locked. So they can't actually, it, don't, it won't make all that much difference. It'll be good television. Mm. Well, well, we're gonna. Have, we're gonna I mean, have Hillary, to Hillary Clinton has pretty much got the nomination. I mean, and I think she. I, I mean, as far as presidents are concerned, in the history of presidents of the United States, she will make a better job than actually most of them. So it's like, uh, but the thing is, is that she knows how to play the game. She is actually a very good negotiator and very good at getting uh, people on her side. So. Um, mm. The thing is, is that it, I, what, I, what amazes me is that people are sh- only shocked when a woman does it. When a man does it, they don't seem to be shocked at all. They actually seem to see this as statesman-like behavior. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, with all the accusations that are thrown against her, I mean, it, I'm thinking they're scraping the barrel, no? I mean, you know, we've got all this talk about emails and private mm. servers. But you've got, like, um, everyone seems to have forgotten Dick Cheney outing a CIA agent. That car car would have to be, I mean, unfortunately, i got to wrap this segment. That would have to be a a part two um, as as far as the Clinton, as far as the Clinton dynasty goes. I mean, I have my opinions and Mary has hers. Uh, You know, perhaps we could have you on again, you know, uh, in the future, really just to when we get closer to election time to talk uh, to talk some more. Uh, So we're going to have to leave it there. But I definitely appreciate you coming on with me tonight. Well, thanks very much. I I appreciate talking to you. I Carl Rogers, he's the, the editor of Trable Press, the publisher of my book, False Choice. Carl also has a new book that's out. If you want more information, uh, you can go to once again go to the the tweet promoting tonight's show, the Community Party Twitter page at Community Party One. In our resources section, we have a link to the Trable Press Facebook page. We will wrap this week's show on the other side of the break. You're listening to Community Party Radio on So Metro Radio Live from Hartford, Connecticut. We'll be right back with more interesting conversation and information on the Community Party Radio Show, hosted by David Sanders.
Live from Hartford, Connecticut, this is Community Party Radio on Soul Metro Radio. I'm David Samuels, along with my co-host, Mary Sanders. Thank you to Zaida Barrios, Arthur Miller, and Carl Rogers for joining us this week. Tune in tomorrow for a replay of tonight's show and another Community Party radio broadcast. It's going to be starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Pacific. Replays are, are on the Tuesdays that we, we, we aren't on live and every Wednesday at the same time. Check out the Community Party Twitter page at Community Party One. The tweet promoting tonight's show includes resource info on show topics. You can also find ordering info for my book, False Choice, The Bipartisan Attack on the Working Class, the Poor, and Communities of Color. We also have information on our podcast and live updates on the Super Tuesday primary, which includes the, the big prize of California, uh, that, um, that contest, of course, between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Our next live show will air Tuesday, June 21st. Visit the So Metro Radio website also for information on more So Metro Radio shows. And we've also got information on our podcast there. Shout out to Program Director Kay Rose, who produced the show from the So Metro Radio studio in Dallas. Thanks for listening to Community Party Radio on So Metro Radio. You have been listening to the Get Global Network podcast at the Community Party Radio Show, hosted by David Samuels and co-hosted by Mary Sanders. You can hear the show live on the first and third Tuesdays of each month, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on SoMetro Radio, one of the original member stations of the Get Global Network. Listen to the show on the go or hear replays of previous shows by installing any of the Get Global Network apps like SoMetro Magazine and Grassroots Salute for your cell phone. The apps are available for download on both Google Play and the iTunes app store. Take the time to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or the Spreaker Podcast Network.